Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome everyone to the first session of On Track Training. We're going to be looking at our journey in the Lord, our faith journey, the call, the destiny, and how God wants to take us to a certain place in Him so that we can really become the person that the Lord died for us to become and then ultimately fulfill our purpose and our destiny here on earth. I love the scripture in Acts 13. talks about how David, he did the will of God in his generation and then he died and he went to be with the Lord. And that's what we want to make sure that we do. Really, to the best of our ability and knowledge, with the help of God, we cooperate with him, we collaborate with him, and we fulfill our destiny. And uh, this is going to be an exciting time of training. I know you're going to really be blessed by it. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be stretched, but you're going to be really encouraged. I, I believe that as we continue to really focus on what the Lord has called us to do and the person he's created us to be, we will see the needle move and we'll see just a little bit of progress at a time perhaps. But as we continue to go forward, we're going to see a huge shift in our lives. I'm convinced of that. And uh, I want to just say right from the beginning that if you have not read any of the writings of Dr. J. Robert Clinton, also as he's fondly known as Bobby Clinton, the book that I recommend that you would pick up a copy and read is called The Making of a Leader by Dr. J. Robert Clinton. He is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, California. Great book. A lot of what we're going to be sharing is actually gleaned from his research on leadership. He did a in-depth study on biblical leaders, historical leaders, and contemporary leaders, and basically looked at what they, the process they went through, their lives, and the common denominators, what they had. And he's really identified a six-stage process that we seem to go through before we really step into the place what he calls convergence and convergence is where kind of everything just clicks and comes together and we start to get shift and have momentum and and see breakthrough in our lives and so there is a process that we have to go through it's part of the journey don't despise the journey sometimes we want to get to the destination we don't like the journey i know my wife and i we're actually going to florida next week and uh you know, we it's it's a long way from Dallas, Texas. It's about 1,200 miles, and um, to drive there, it's like wow, it's just too long. It just takes too long. So we can fly there in just over two hours, and so we've decided uh, that the journey is not something we really enjoy. We just want to get to the destination, and that's the way we are sometimes in life, isn't it? If we're to be honest, we just want to get there. We don't want to go through the process. We, we don't want to, to go through the journey and, and so on. So we, we need to understand the journey is very important. Okay, what I'm going to do, first thing we're going to do is we're going to actually watch a video. And this video is just an overview of what On Track is all about. It's just over one minute. So just here we go. Our journey as Christ's followers is a lifelong process of revelation, renewal, recovery, and refocus. Our responsibility is not to discover our purpose or fulfill our destiny, but rather to join God on the journey, allowing Him to shape destiny into our lives. As we stay the course and align ourselves with what He is doing, our life becomes vibrant, deeply significant, and full of purpose. The Kingdom community has developed a process that will help you move the needle it's called On Track, and you can sign up now by visiting kingdomcommunity.global. On TRAC is a prophetic life-shaping process with clear objectives. One, transform you into the person God has created you to be. Two, empower you to fulfill your ultimate assignment in advancing the kingdom of God. Three, ensure you to finish well and leaving a lasting legacy. 
on track consists of assessments, personal coaching, mastermind sessions, and the formulation of a customized plan to help you live out your full potential in Christ and completing His kingdom assignment for your life. Head over to kingdomcommunity.global to sign up for On Track today. Again, the website is kingdomcommunity.global. All right, so there we go. That's a brief overview of what OnTrack is all about. Now we're going to just look at our um, the website here. I just want to take you guys over to the website, and the website has disappeared. That's interesting. Let me see if I can bring it back up again. Here we go. And we are going to... I'm just going to do a screen share, and we're going to jump on and actually go to the website okay here we go here we go all right so here is the kingdomcommunity.global website and this is the on track page um, the video you just watched right there and then here we look at the actual process of on track is a prophetic life shaping process with clear objectives we uh, saw this in the video as well. Transform you into the person God has created you to be. Empower you to fulfill your assignment and make your ultimate contribution as a member of the body of Christ. And prepare you to finish well and leave a lasting legacy. On track, T-R-A-C is an acrostic, an, uh, an acronym. It stands for Trajectory Renewal Alignment and Community trajectory what is that all about life is a journey and it's critical that we capture the big picture perspective of our journey as well as where we're at in terms of the the small things things that seem insignificant the minutiae uh, it's very important that we recognize that god has a purpose in everything that we go through and ultimately i know we make poor decisions at times and people do things to us and we become victimized, but ultimately God can redeem everything, even our own mistakes and even the evil that people have perpetrated against us. So we need to see things from a big perspective. That's the trajectory that we are on a journey from the day we were born to the day we go to be with the Lord or Jesus returns, whatever happens first, God has a purpose in the journey and he's actually leading us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, so we have to see the past, present, and future in light of God's shaping work. We must be convinced he's been and is leading us toward his desired outcome for our lives. Renewal. As we travel the road of life, we are on this spiritual journey. It's not uncommon for us to become tired, to falter, to stumble. That's okay. Um, but ultimately, we know that the Father wants us to experience constant renewal so we can complete the journey with joy. And that means we need a healthy lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle which includes not only physically, uh, emotionally, socially, but mentally as well, and uh, spiritually, of course. And a hunger for a deepening hunger for God, encounters with the Holy Spirit, very important and critical in our journey. Alignment, it's not about personal fulfillment, but about the discovery of who we are and our place and purpose in God's kingdom. Alignment essentially answers two questions, okay? Who has God made me to be? Question number one. Question number two, what has he created me to do? So it, it really deals with our identity and our purpose, living on purpose. And then lastly, community. We were not created to live uh, our lives on our own, do the journey alone. God wants us to be uh, connected to a community of other disciples, of kingdom-minded people. And so alignment is actually best actuated in the community of disciples. And as we participate in healthy community, and I recognize there's unhealthy community even in the church, um, and by that, I'm just talking about, you know, individuals that maybe are toxic and, and, and things that happen as a result of that. But I'm just talking about corporately, there's church cultures that are on, at places that are not, um, 
you know, healthy as well. But hey, the world is bad and uh, in many places, but ultimately God wants us to journey with not perfect people, but people that are wanting to change and become more like Jesus, people that are growing. And uh, so so it's really important that we, we journey together with in a healthy community of believers. And guess what happens? We become more aware of our ultimate contribution. Okay, in other words, what role do I play as a member in the body of Christ? I'm only one member. And yet, I'm not called just to be a body part, but I'm called to be part of the body. And by that, I mean, you're not operating, you know, autonomously doing your own thing but you are actually connected to a body and there is healthy interdependence. Ephesians 4, 16b in the New Living Translation, Paul says this, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that awesome? The whole body is healthy and growing and full of love of love that's a powerful thing and god wants us to experience that on our journey so i want to just quickly go through some things relating to our journey relating to how god created us his intention and purpose for our lives we know that ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 talks about how we are literally saved not by good works but by faith and in the grace of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then verse 10 is very clear that we are his workmanship. That word in the Greek language literally speaks of a masterpiece. Uh, can also be translated as poetry. And we are God's poetry. We are God's masterpiece. We were created to do good works which God authored before time began. That's what it actually says in one translation. God predestined, God foreordained that we do certain things. In the book of Titus, Paul said that Jesus came and died for us, that we would be raised up as a people that are zealous for good works. So though life may have battered us with its storms and we go through difficult the times and on the journey, the unfolding of our lives is still like the unfolding of a book with many chapters. So if you are still alive, hello there, anybody still alive? Then it means that your story is not yet finished. There's more to your story. God has a purpose. And I want you to please understand that God is at work. He's forming each of our lives for a unique kingdom expression. With each step of our journey, he's left a deposit. Think about that. Each step of the journey, he's left a deposit. And what he's doing is he's processing these insights uh, in us related to who he shaped us to be and what he shaped each one of us to do. Think about Jesus when he was on the earth. And here's where we really part ways with a lot of what is taught in the kind of conventional um, coaching that we hear today where you just, you know, make set your own goals and do your own thing. Uh, in reality, that's not the way of the kingdom. Jesus constantly said this statement in the Gospels, the time has not yet come. The time has not yet come. Each day, that he lived was surrendered to the will of the Father. In John 5, 19 and 20, he talks about how the Son can do nothing of himself, but he only does what he sees the Father doing. And then he spoke about how the Father delights to show him all things. And so his will was to do the will of the Father. You know, Jesus, what's your plan for next month? What's your plan next year? You know, and Jesus would say, to do the will of my Father. Jesus. What's your plan, you know, in the second year of your ministry to do the will of my father? In the third year of my ministry to do the will of my father. Do you know what that is, Jesus? What is the will of the father? I don't know, but he will show me in the right time because the time has not yet come for him to even reveal this to me. So 
we have to have that same type of confidence that in due time, in the right place, as we make continue on our journey, that the Father will reveal to us everything we need to know. So we're not trying to fulfill our destiny. We're not trying to be, okay, this is what I'm called to do and I need to do this. We are joining God in this journey. The Holy Spirit is leading us. He's in front of us. Just as the children of Israel were led in the wilderness, so God is leading us and he's taking us to a destination. That destination actually has to do with at least two things. Number one, as I said, a place where we are conformed to the likeness of the of Christ himself, and then secondly, doing his will and fulfilling his purpose, his calling, and the assignments that he gives for us to do in this life. All right, let me open up the PowerPoint here, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures that are very significant for us, okay? We want to talk about the fact that we have to be convinced, we must be convinced that God is actually working in our lives. Do you believe that God is working in your life? Uh, no matter what it seems like, no matter how you feel, now you say, it just seems that God has left me, I'm stranded in the wilderness, you know? Sometimes we'll say things like, you know, I just went off track. I, I just went, I, I'm shifted away from God. And and yet the truth is, guys, read Psalm 139. Where can you go that God's not already there? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He He's uh, ubiquitous. He, he literally is everywhere. And guys, we cannot run from God. There's nowhere we can go that he's not already there. So he's aware of what we're going through and God is working in our lives through every situation. Even when we're in rebellion, God is still working in our lives. Even when we get out of his will, we make a decision that is not part of his purpose and plan, he's still working in our lives. So God has a way of getting us back on track. And that's why um, the book that I gave you that's in the chat, three ways that God often shifts us is, is really to get us back on track or to move us in a new direction, maybe a new assignment. He's closing one door and he's bringing us into a new place. So that's a very important little book. I encourage you to read it. It, it, it will help you to understand kind of those seasons in life where it's like, why are doors closing? Why is it that I just feel stuck and I can't move forward? Well, here's what's happening, guys. No matter if you feel stuck in the wilderness, no matter if you you know, you've been in a place where you've been very successful and you've you've experienced a season of fruitfulness, but now you feel like, man, this is tough. Look at the scripture says God's working in you. And according to Philippians 2.13 in the NLT, he's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Of course, other translation says he's working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. But he's giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Come on, that's a big amen right there. God is working in you. If we weren't on Zoom, I'd say turn to your neighbor and say, God is working in you. <laughs> All right, how is he working in you? Well, look at this. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God is working in us, conforming us to become like his son. That's a powerful passage of scripture. And uh, you know, Romans 8, 28, we're very familiar with that if we've been saved for probably more than a couple of weeks. <laughs> that says, for we know that in, all, that in all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. But we often forget the next verse, verse 29 here on the screen. Verse 29 tells us why and how all things work together for good. It works together for good because through every situation and circumstance that we go through, God is conforming us into the image or the likeness of his son. 
Everything we go through has that purpose and intention to make us more like Jesus Christ. Sometimes we just want to, you know, we want a million dollars. We want an open door. We want a new relationship. We want a promotion. We want this and that and everything else. But God says, no, what you really need is to become more like my son. Because if we really become like Jesus and have the type of relationship that Jesus had with his father, we will have everything we have need of in this life temporally, as well as the power, the authority, the access to spiritual riches and glory, everything that we have need of that is literally part of God's kingdom, we'll be able to get a hold of that and to avail ourselves of that as we learn how to walk like Jesus did on the earth. All right, next verse. Isaiah 45, verse 2. This is, of course, the context is referring to Cyrus and how Cyrus would um, cause the Israelites to come out of bondage and be restored to their homeland. But I want you to look at this verse 2 of Isaiah 45 and just make this your promise. Just claim this as your promise. God says, I will go before you. Come on now. I will go before you and I will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. Listen, God has promised that he will go before you and he will make the crooked place straight. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that we have to follow him. It means that we just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to stay on track. And as I stay on track, I know that I'm going to experience breakthrough because you are leading me and you are making the crooked places straight. You're breaking in pieces the gates of bronze and the bars of iron. And that's so important that we understand that often we desire to try to fulfill our own destiny and purpose. You know, we, especially if you're in a place where you just don't know what to do or in the natural things seem scary, like maybe you're you're having financial issues or you just don't know what to do about a particular situation and you feel pressure and just coming at you from all sides, then what happens as human beings is our natural response is to do one of two things. Fear causes us, and it's motivated by fear, fear causes us to panic. And if we panic, then we run ahead of God. We try to solve things on our own. We, we try to you know remedy th things on our own rather than follow the Lord. Or sometimes what happens as a result of fear is it paralyzes us. We dig in our heels. We don't want to move forward and we just kind of stall out. We get stuck and we're no longer, um, we no longer have traction. We no longer have any type of momentum and we refuse to move forward. Now, in the book that I gave you in the chat, Three Ways, I tell a story about a couple that I met in Florida in the United States several years ago. Now, this couple is from another country, and this country where they live is predominantly another religion, and the husband was actually being targeted by these radicals, and they were planning on killing the husband. So they got word of this. Their apartment was actually broken into, and and ransacked and so they heard about this and they ended up fleeing the country they went to another nation and they became refugees there for uh, a, a period of time and then they eventually applied for asylum uh, refugee status based on on being persecuted and were able to come to the united states well i didn't know this and i was speaking at a particular church and i saw this couple and I was praying and, and I actually started praying for them. And as I was praying for them, I had a vision. In the vision, I saw the husband walking down like a suburban American street. And he was walking with no one less than Jesus himself. His wife was behind. The wife was not uh, traveling with them or walking with them. She was lagging behind and and you could just sense, I could sense in the dream that she was doing this intentionally. Now, what ended up happening is in the dream, I'm sorry, in the vision that I had, it wasn't a dream, I wasn't sleeping. In the vision that I had, I actually would see Jesus. He'd stop in the midst of conversation with the husband and he'd turn around and he'd look back at 
and his wife as to say, hey, where are you? Why aren't you with us? And he would basically summon her, come on, you know, catch up with us. We want you to be part of this conversation. And you could see that it, he was very obvious that he wanted, Jesus wanted her to be part of the conversation and part of the fellowship. But eventually she just stopped walking. She wouldn't even go any further. At that point, the, the, the vision ended and the Lord spoke to me and he said this. He said, she doesn't want to be in this country. She doesn't want to be here, but tell her to stop resisting my will. I have a great purpose and plan for her life if she will stop balking and resisting and will just walk with me on this journey. So she didn't actually speak English, so I told the husband, and he translated it to his wife, and he told me, he said, my wife does not want to be here in the United States. She keeps saying to me, can't we go back to our country? We have friends there. We have family there. I hate it here. Uh, it's so different. The culture is different. I miss our family. I miss our friends. And the husband was telling her, look, we can't go back. If we go back, we could be killed. We've got to make the best of it. But she would not, you know, settle for that. She was just very, very unhappy and, and very resistant to the fact that she was living in the United States. And so what happened was this prophetic word came forth and literally addressed this issue in her life. And as a result, it shifted her and set her free. And guys, I can tell you now, this has been several years, probably this was about nine or 10 years ago. And they are living in California. They're doing very well. They're settled. They have a great business, have a great ministry. Their kids are doing well because she embraced the prophetic word. And she said, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And and God changed her and literally gave her a new perspective and new desire as she would no longer, um, you know, balk against what the Lord was doing in her life. So it's so important that on the journey, we don't resist the Lord. We don't lag behind. We don't run ahead. We don't try to solve, you know, things on our own, but we follow him and we stay with him. Okay. Very important. The Bible says this, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, the word paths in the Hebrew language, derek, literally means a, um, a roadway, something that you walk. You know. It says in some other translation, you know, and, and by the way, the word ways is, is the same word. It says in all of your ways, in all of the pathways, acknowledge him. Okay. Now, the word that is translated acknowledge is a very powerful term in Hebrew. It's yada. Yada literally means to know experientially, okay? It's used about how Adam knew Eve and then Eve bore a, a child. So that's the type of intimacy that it's speaking about, okay? It's never referring to just intellectual knowledge or academia. It's referring to an experiential, to be acquainted, in other words. So in all your ways, okay, be acquaint yourself with God. What is God wanting you to, to know? Where is it that he's taking you? What, what way is he leading you? It's important that you yada him, okay, that you go to that place. By the way, the word yada also is, is uh, a root word from which it literally means to lift up hands. And it can be used of like reaching out to God, but it can be used of worship. It can be used of prayer. And so the idea is to really just to draw close to God and, and to experience him that way. So get to know God that way. Trust him, allow him to speak to you and direct your paths and show you the way that he wants you to go. Love this. I'll, I want you just to, to see this passage. It's actually two verses of scripture. I hear the Lord saying, I will stay close to you, instructing and guiding you along the pathway for your life. I will advise you along the way and lead you forth with my eyes as your guide. So don't make it difficult. Don't be stubborn when I take you where you've not been before. 
Don't make me tug you and pull you along. Just come with me. Wow. Psalm 32, 8 and 9 in the Passion Translation. Very powerful, okay? Now, he's speaking literally about a horse or a mule and how we are not to be, you know, like that horse that's stubborn, um, that needs a bit and a bridle. There's a word in the New Testament that literally speaks of us um, be, being like that, having that same type of attitude that this a horse would have. And it's the word meekness. It's praos in the Greek language. And it literally speaks of strength that has become harnessed or, or contained and used for a purpose. And the Greeks, when they would need horses for the military, they would go off somewhere and they would look for and search for wild horses. And they would find these wild horses and then they would bring them through a process where they would try to break these horses. Now, when it means break them, it wasn't to debilitate them or to in any way, but it literally speaks of breaking their stubbornness, their self-will, their, in, their independence so that they would be cooperative, okay? Now, the degree and the measure of the horse's cooperation with the process uh, determined the assignment that the horse would receive. In other words, if the horse was pretty stubborn and really wouldn't comply and, and wasn't easy to tame and you know wouldn't really submit, then they use that for a workhorse, you know, for menial tasks. But a horse that would submit itself to its trainer would become a horse that the Greeks would call praos, which is, again, translated meekness in English. And that horse would actually be designated and assigned to become a war horse, a war horse. It would be used to go into the thick of battle because it was a horse that its rider would just have to nudge, tap it, even speak to it, even just look at it, and this horse would respond. The Bible tells us that God wants us to have a meek spirit. It's a spirit not where we are broken, but a spirit where our self-will, our independence, and our stubbornness has uh, been crucified, and we live for the will and purposes of God. And the more praos we are, the more meek we are, the more God can use us and the greater the assignment that he can give to us. Isn't that powerful? Praise God. He wants to use us. All right, guys, so let's look at this. These are two great quotes, one from Os Guinness and one from D.H. Lawrence about our calling. Our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, God, not to something or to somewhere. How many believers, how many you know, followers of Jesus today, they, use, they see godliness as a means of gain? That's what Paul talked about in Timothy. In other words, I'm using God to prosper me, to give me my breakthrough, to, you know, so I can fulfill my destiny. I can do all the things that I have planned and purpose for my life. But what if those things aren't God's plan? What if they are not his purpose? Come on there, guys. You understand what I'm saying? So we're called to him. We're called to relationship and intimacy with him. Okay, D.H. Lawrence says, the true goal of discipleship is not to train us to think the right way or believe the right things. Wow, a lot of a lot of what people are done, you know, it happens today in the guise of discipleship is all about that. But to form us in a kind of person that God calls us to be. So it's more than just having the right doctrine, the right, you know, set of beliefs or convictions, but guys, becoming that person that God has called us to be, conform to the image and likeness of Jesus, as we saw earlier. Okay, so we are called to run a race. We are on a journey and we are on a race. Paul talked about that. He said, you know, at the end of his life when he was older, in 2 Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight. I've finished my, you know, I've completed the race. I've, con I've finished my course. And he talked about how the crown was laid up for him. Jesus said that we want to ultimately hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to finish well. 
We want to cross the finish line knowing that we've done everything that God has called us to do, or at least as, you know, a good part of that. So very, very important. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the language here is speaking of the Olympics, and it's talking about back in the days when the Greeks would uh, run, you know, they would literally run naked, and uh, they, they would do that so that, you know, obviously there wasn't any weight on them. And the idea, of course, is that we are in a race, we are in a contest, and we have to ensure that we recognize at least four things about that race that we're in. Number one, there are those who've successfully run the race before us. The great cloud of witnesses refers to Hebrews 11. Those who've been faithful to the Lord, they finished the race. Of course, Jesus himself, Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So there are those who successfully run the race. That gives us hope that we can do it as well. Number two, when running the race, we must shed everything that would hinder us from completing our course and finishing well. Is there anything that's hindering you from running your race and completing your course? You need to shed that. We need to shed that in order that we can finish what God has called us to do. It's not worth it. Number three, we must run the race with the end in view and with perseverance. Guys, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and we've got to remember that, okay? We've got to pace ourselves at times, we need to rest at times, we need to refocus, refresh, whatever we must do in order to finish this race that we are in. Lastly, we must recognize that each one of us has a unique race to run. What you're called to do and what I'm called to do can be totally opposite. Have you ever had someone question you about, you know, your spiritual journey, your walk? Like, man, what are you doing? What are you going through? Why, why are you, why did you make that decision? You know, and there it's to them, it just doesn't make sense. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but the truth is it's your journey not theirs and it's yours to make sense of not theirs they are not it may not ever make sense to them but you know what honestly it's not any of their business ultimately you have to discern what is the father saying to you how is he leading you you know there was a time when uh lynn and i were offered to take a church a fairly large pretty large church in canada and um, it would have really, you know, been a great church, a great ministry. And we, we were asked to do that, but we just felt like the Lord said, no, we weren't supposed to do that. And he had a different assignment for us. So we turned it down. And I remember one of my friends, a pastor, called me up and he said, I heard that you declined the invitation to, you know, become the next senior leader of this church. And he, he just began to say to me, what's wrong with you? Man, you're missing the will of God. Like, like, why would you do that? You know how many people would love to become the pastor of that church? But the bottom line is we had to be obedient to what God had called us to do. And, and so we had to say no because we're following the Lord. We're following the cloud, not the crowd. Amen. That's the same with you. All right, have you ever seen this? <clears throat> okay, so uh, what do you, when you see one of these in the mall in a shopping center, what's the first thing you look for? Just go ahead and type in the chat. What's the first thing you look for? <laughs> Come on, guys. What's the first thing? <laughs> Where am I? Where am I? Or you are here right the food court okay have fun getting to the food court if you don't know where you are all right okay uh you are here right so you are here all right so i'm let's just say you are right here by where it says entrance okay you want to go all the way down here to macy's you realize man i should have parked down here but that's okay you're going to make the walk. You need the exercise anyways. It's all part of uh, being in shape, right? <laughs> so you are here. So it's really important. You need to know where you are. 
and uh, in order to know where you're going okay very very important all right awesome yes where am i going okay so good now all right let's look at this you ready in our journey with the lord there's two things that we have to be very intentional in in focusing on number one is what we call sovereign perspectives now i want you to just see the actual um photo here the image it's it's um a gps on a on a cell phone on a mobile phone and that's probably you know that's that's a good distance there right now we don't know how long that is from point a to point b but that's quite a distance you use a gps to show you kind of the big perspective the trajectory from point a to point b i'm i need to go I'm here and I need to go there, right? Very, very important. That's what we call, uh, we'll talk about sovereign perspectives in just a second. And then the next thing that you need is situational clarity. And what I mean by that is situational clarity has to do with the fact that if you're walking, if you're going to make that journey, you might have a GPS, but you still need um, a flashlight or parts of the world, they call it a torch you need that to help you especially if you're journeying at nighttime right so you need a, a fresh set of eyes you need vision so you can see up close you can see details if there's anything obstructing your journey i mean do you need to to go down a big hill or a cliff i mean uh, do you need to cross a river i mean you may not necessarily see all those details on your gps but when you're walking closely, that's when you begin to see the situation up close with clarity. Okay, So this is the way it is with our relationship with the Lord as well. Um, we actually come to the place, you know, if you're lost in the woods or in a desert, you know, it's, it's great to have a map, a compass, or a GPS, but you still need a good set of eyes to be able to see things up close, don't you? Um, so that's that's very very important so situational clarity is where are we now like where am I where am I and you know what's happening in my life right now it's very very important that we understand that okay and seeing things up close um, dealing with things in terms of where I'm at right now but not as the saying is, you know, not being able to see the forest because of the trees, right? In other words, you get so focused and so myopic in your, in your uh, perspective that you can't see the big picture. We need to have uh, an up, you know, a close-up view, but we also need a balcony view where we can look down and see things as well. And that really has to do with sovereign perspectives. See, God is at work. He's doing something very, very powerful in your life, and that is the sovereign perspective. What is God doing in your life? Okay, Looking back is not about staying in the past or reliving the past, but it's really gaining strategic understanding related to your future and the way forward. So the more you understand what God's been doing in your life, how he's been forming you and and developing you and and processing you the more that you can get a hold of this and really understand that the more you you can see the way forward so situational clarity and sovereign perspective what is god actually up to very very important that we understand this so we see the big picture but we also see things up close as well very very important okay just before we go into the exercise, which I'm going to share more about this, I want to talk about six characteristics of those that finish well. Again, referring to J. Robert Clinton, Dr. J. Robert Clinton, in his book, The Making of the Leader, which was a study on, uh, on patterns, behaviors of leaders, and also the, process, the processes they went through in order to finish um, and get to a place, we're talking about successful leaders. One of the things that we understand is that honestly, most leaders do not finish well. That's the truth, guys. Few leaders finish well. Look in the Bible. You're going to see a lot of leaders that did not finish well, okay? Kings and others. 
Okay, so few leaders finish well. Secondly, guess what? Leadership is difficult. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> and God's enabling presence is essential. And becoming and learning how to be a successful leader. You know, there's a lot of skills that we need to acquire. There's mindsets, there's faith, there's tenacity. Um, there's a sense in which I said, you know, we, we draw close to the Lord, we stay immersed in his presence, and we continue to grow and develop. All these things are, are very important. But let's look at six specific characteristics of those that finish their race well, okay? Six characteristics. Number one, they have a vibrant relationship with Christ. So important. In fact, do you know this? This is so, so important. They maintain this vibrant relationship with Christ right up to the end, right up to the end of their life. It's not like those who did well in their early years, in their midlife, and then they get older and they just lost the vision. They just sit around and watch television. They don't do anything. You know, they, they stay focused. They, they pray, even in seasons where you're not sure what you're supposed to do. This is a season and a time to focus on intercession and, and God granting you clarity and, and getting stronger in your inner man and whatever you need to do. Okay, so they, they maintain this personal vibrant relationship with the Lord right up to the end. Very, very important. Secondly, they maintain a learning posture. They are lifelong learners, okay? Their characteristic is one of the enhancement factors for finishing well. Guys, constantly be learning. You know, we see this in the Bible repeatedly. Um, thirdly, Christ-likeness. They become more like Christ. They manifest his character in their lives is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. They become more and more like Jesus. The older they get, the more mature they become in the Lord and the more godly and Christ-like they become. We don't want to become grumpy when we're old. We want to be full of faith, full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost and the love of God. They, fourthly, have a firm belief or conviction in the promises of God. This is so important. Um, the truth is lived out in their lives so that convictions and the promises of God are seen to be real. And what I mean by that is think about Joshua's statement about God's promises, how, how they never failed him. In his closing speech to Israel, it's actually recorded in Joshua 23, um, verse number 14, he talks about how God never failed him. God was with him and God never let him down. God kept his word and did everything that he said he would do. Powerful. You know, Paul talked about that in his two letters to Timothy as well. And you read that um, in, in Acts 27, 22 through 25, Paul talked about that as well, his strong convictions. God is with me. He's not left me. He's done everything he said he would do. He's been true to his word. He's a faithful God. Amen. All right. And then fifthly, they leave behind one or more ultimate contributions. Each one of us has an ultimate contribution. What is it that we're really called to do and how are we called to impact this world in which we live? Okay. Now, it, could, it may not be on a global scale. Okay. But ultimately, there are people that you're called to impact. There's different ways that we, we can impact people. It might be through uh, our lifestyle. We live such a godly lifestyle. You know, the people that seem like saints, <laughs> we're all saints, but you know what I mean. Uh, but their life is a life to, that exemplifies Christ-likeness, a, a life that other people would want to emulate, to, you know, to imitate it, to become like them. Um, Maybe they have a, a powerful ministry. They impact people. They might have a street ministry. They might have, you know, a ministry that impacts nations, whatever it is, okay? The, maybe they're pioneers. They've paved the way. They've broken new ground. They've done, they're reformers. Uh, no matter what it is, you know, they, they are someone who starts things. Um, another area is what I would call the promoter. The promoter. What do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. 
now, uh, besides Jesus, who's the most influential person in the New Testament? Let me ask you this question as well. Who wrote most of the New Testament? Go ahead and, and type it in the chat. Um, who's the most influential person in the New Testament other than Jesus? Paul. Okay. Someone else? Paul. 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 Wow. Everybody thinks it's Paul. Apostle Paul. Is that this? Yeah, that's the same guy. Um, actually, you know who wrote the most most of the New Testament? Luke. If you study, if you count how many chapters there are, okay, in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which he wrote both of them, it actually is more content than all of Paul's writings put together. Isn't that something? <laughs> so, okay. All right. But that's still not the answer to the question. Who's the most influential person? Who made the greatest kingdom impact in the New Testament other than Jesus? Hmm. Well, yeah. We, we could say, we could say Paul. But let me throw something out to you. What about Barnabas? What about Barnabas? Because no one, the apostles, um, they were they were leery of him. They were wary of him. Uh, they didn't believe that Paul was legit. And Barnabas came alongside and vouched for him, sponsored him, so to speak, took him under his wing, and you know he came to Antioch. And then eventually, Paul was validated and released. And you know, in the beginning, uh, when we see Barnabas and and Paul come together, you know, like in Acts 13, for example, we, we read this, Barnabas and Saul. But then things change. And when he, he goes out to the Roman world, of course, you know, he uses his Roman name, Paul, Paulus. But what ends up happening is he actually comes to a place where, where we see him, um, the language changes. Now it's not Barnabas and Saul or Barnabas and Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas. The language actually changes. You see that in the 14th chapter of Acts. So I believe that interestingly, interestingly, I think that Barnabas uh, made the greatest impact. Okay. And, and that's very, very powerful. All right. Lastly, six characteristics, sense of destiny being fulfilled. The sixth characteristic of a leader that finishes well is they walk with a growing awareness of a sense of destiny and they see some or all of their destiny fulfilled. Wow. They see some or all of their destiny fulfilled by the time they get up in age. Okay. Powerful. Guys, my book, I put it in the uh, chat, Three Ways to Discern God is Leading You in a New Direction. It's there. Um, it's also in the email that went out. It was attached. You can access it that way. Thank you. And it's just my gift to you. Um, we're going to go through the five habits assessment at this point. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.